Good morning, everybody. Awesome to be here on this Celebration Sunday, isn't it? Um, hope that today has been and will continue to be a great day for you, um, as it is uh, for Christians everywhere, kind of celebrating just the, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, just so you know, if I realize that uh, sometimes people aren't regulars um, to church and they kind of take a chance at Christmas and Easter, and that's cool. Um, I'm glad you're here and took a chance on us. Hopefully I don't say anything that will, uh, will offend you any more than what's necessary. Um, so that's, uh, that's my hope and my desire. But I just want you to know, even if you're not a, a follower of Jesus, you are welcome here to come explore the faith. Here's some things that we believe about the church distinctively. Um, we believe that Jesus was God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross uh, to take away uh, people's sins, and, uh, and that he gloriously resurrected on the third day, proving um, to all of creation that he was God. So uh, foundationally, that's what we believe. And if you have any questions about that, we can talk about it later. But um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know that's the perspective that we come from. So I put all my cards on the table, nothing up my sleeve, never was good at playing cards anyway, so I put it all out there for you. Um, awesome to have you here. Actually, as we're launching a brand new series called Foundations that you see on the screen, and what we're talking about in this whole series is this idea that the foundation for a life made whole is not what you do to build it, but who you tune in to find it. So all of us have some degree of brokenness, and every one of us, I mean, we find brokenness in, in every aspect of our life, really. So for all of us, the foundation for a life made whole, this is where we're going, kind of launching today, just jumping headlong into this. We'll be here for several weeks. But the foundation for a life made whole, of course, being made whole is, is the big idea, it is not what you do to build it. It's who you tune into to find it. So I thought no better way to kind of um, bring about this, this message and the idea of tuning in to tell you a story. I, I have my whole life, I wanted to have, I've wanted to have a cool car. I've never had a cool car. Some of you, like you were 16 and your parents were like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to give you the coolest car. You're going to be like the envy of everybody else's school. And you had wheels and you had dreams and everybody wanted to be in your car. That was not my story. My dad said to me, he's like, well, if you want a car, you got to buy it. Oh, pretty sweet plan. Like, that's no big deal. Then I looked at how much money I had and I said, well, cool cars are out the window. Just got to find something with four wheels. But I've had this deep-seated issue of a longing of having a cool car because the two cars that are etched in my memory from my childhood are one of which was like this nasty, disgusting, late 70s, baby blue Ford LTD. <laughs> and this car was about as long as this room. Um, it, it, it honestly would, it would be a great aircraft carrier. I mean, it was like that big and you drive and actually I'm not even sure you drive. You just kind of float and hover everywhere you go. It was just that car. Um, one awesome memory I have of that car particularly is when I was in grade school and my stepmom let me drive home from school. That was pretty neat. So it was the early 80s. Things were a little bit different back then. No car seats, of course. Um, that's a true story. Not that I want your kids to be driving unless they're 16 and have passed the test or they have their driver's license and you give them permission. There you go, parents. I just let myself off the hook. But that was some, some early experiences in that, that nasty, disgusting LTD was kind of created this longing. And then outside of that, my dad had a late 70s Ford Pinto. 
Now, I mean, I think it may be the only car that's uglier than the LTD, and it would actually fit into like the engine compartment of this LTD, this little bitty car. And it was a family of four. And my dad loved this car. He would defend this car. If my dad were here, he would defend this car. We actually went to a car show and somebody like tricked out this, this Pinto. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing. Like, why in the world they do that? It had like a big blower and hood scoop and all this. I'm like, why would you do that? And my dad, like, he was starting to like push back a little bit. A little bit. He's like, well, that's a nice looking car. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a Pinto. It's not a nice car, you know. I've seen nice cars and that's not one you know, but I didn't argue because he's my dad. And I was like, okay, it's not, you know, whatever. So, but, but my, my dad's car, this, this Pinto, the LTD had an eight track. Anybody remember the eight track days? Yeah. I'm dating myself. Now, if you were born in the two thousands, this is just relevant to those who were born in, in in the 1900s. So it's like, you're not even going to be able to know this, but my, my dad's Pinto was a stick shift, family of four, sandwiching into this car. Those who were up front can like somewhat fit, but my brother and I would like literally have to do one of these numbers to get in the back seat. It was like all scrunched in. But what I, what I really remember about this car is it, it had an AM radio. No AM FM, no 8-track. And by, by the way of AM radio, and if you know this about AM radios back in the day, um, it was the, the two-knobber with like the five push buttons, black push buttons. It's like click, click, click. And it only had two different things that was on the radio at any time. Static and then loud static. That was pretty much an AM radio, was it not? So I remember my dad, he would, he would my, he'd like defend this car. I love this car. And he's click, click, click. And all you hear is static. And then every once in a while, he'd and he'd tune in. He'd, you know, he had a little volume knob and the other knob and he'd crank that thing over. And, all, you know, if it was like good and we we're like going to my grandparents' house, we'd like tune into the oldies or something. That was like, and it was like static, which is a hint of, of music on the other side of that. But you had to tune into it. And I just want you to know, if, if you want to live the Christian life, even if you have committed your life to Jesus, but if you want to live the Christian life, you have to tune into the resurrection power of God. You have to. It's, it's more than just committing your life to Jesus and then living for you by you. It's better than that. So a question I want us to wrestle with Throughout this talk, and this particularly you of Christians, because I know the answer to this if you're not a Christian, but if you're a Christian, I want you to just kind of wrestle with this question. Are you experiencing the resurrection of power, the resurrection power of Jesus in your life? As a Christian, be careful, be careful to just like throw out an answer that that you want to say about you, but really a question that's, I'm probably not going to answer it the best possible way because really the scripture speaks so much into this and because we don't really want to be here for eight hours I'm just going to give you kind of snippets into building this but but a question I want us to wrestle with is this are you experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in your life because you should be if you're a follower of Jesus Christ if you've committed your life to Christ you should be here's some other things that I know about you some some of us if I were to ask you the question, hey, um, tell me what it means to be a Christian, you would say, and you're partially right by this, you would say, um, what's it mean to be a Christian? You say, oh, okay, I know this one. I was taught this in Sunday school. I'm good. I'm solid. Um, that Jesus was God come in the form of a man. Sweet. Yes. Good job. 
You get like a sticker or something, right? You got that when you nailed it. And then the second thing you would say is, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And you draw out the my sins part like you're proving a point, right? Hear it all the time. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Hey, well done. Yes, you get another sticker. But then you would look at, and then things would get kind of muddled when it comes to the resurrection. You would say, yeah, Jesus uh, died on the cross for my sins and he resurrected on the third day. But if I were to ask a follow-up question, what difference does that make in your life? You would be backpedaling and saying, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And then you would create this inner monologue loop because you think that you have a faith that's simply built on those things. And I would say, if that's your story, you're simply a Good Friday Christian. You see, a Good Friday Christian doesn't experience the resurrection power of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus in their life. A Good Friday Christian says, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and there's the image of the cross, and I wear the cross, and I I got it in my car, and occasionally I'll scan through a Christian radio station, and yes, I'm a Christian because I know these certain things. But if I were to say, well, what difference does it really make in your life? Things would get confusing for you. So what I want to do is I want to add some clarity to you. I want to add some clarity to you if if you're not walking with Jesus. Maybe you, you gave up on Jesus a long time ago. Maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. I want you to have some clarity today. Maybe you're just kind of coming back to the faith and you're just looking for a a fresh start. I want you to have some clarity today. If you're, you're in a walk with God and, and you've been just kind of tracking on and you're just kind of, you're doing the, you believe you're doing the right thing and you're, you're pursuing him and, and the things that he says to be about, I just want to encourage you today on what you're doing. But I want to just caution us. If we're just Good Friday Christians in our faith practice, we cannot but help and rely on our own self-will to live the Christian life. You see, if we're just Good Friday Christians, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If, that's, if that is the only basis for our walk with God, we're going to stumble over ourselves because we're relying upon ourself, not the resurrected power of Jesus to do what it is that it's supposed to do. And we rely upon ourselves. So I'm going to break this up. Um, I actually got these next four things from uh, an author that I respect by the name of John Ortberg. And he says this about humanity, and I think he's right. He says, first and foremost, there's the me that, that we want to be. There's just the, the me I want to be. Like there's this, this perfect version of you, this cleaned up version of you. It's the version you've never been able to, you, you've strived for it your whole life through, but you've never found it. It's kind of like this, this version of you that is, is just, you want a life of significance. You want satisfaction in your life. You want your relationships to be rich. You, want, you just want things to make sense. You want peace and you want hope. And that's the me that I want to be. And I think that's, that's true of every single one of us and everyone who really walks on the face of the earth. And we just go about finding this in different ways. So this is us. Secondly, he says, it's the me I think I should be. What's dangerous about the me I think I should be is we base this off of the comparison of other people. So, so we're not the best version of who we're supposed to be. We're not even necessarily who Jesus wants, to be, wants us to be. It's simply looking around and saying, oh, I want that. Well, I want that. 
I want that. So then you find yourself competing with who you are and who somebody else is. And then you wonder why you lack hope. You wonder why you lack peace. And you wonder why life doesn't make sense. It's still your effort. So you're comparing your life to someone else. Maybe, maybe you're competing. You're just like wrestling. You're just trying to compete your life to try and make your life look more cleaned up and in the prettier version of someone else's. So you're competing against someone else. You're comparing and competing. All of these would be the me that I think I should be. Third thing is the me that others want me to be. This is, this is the me that really gets us in trouble. Because the me that, that others want us to be I mean, good grief, this, this talks about expectations, and you have an expectation of me, and if, if you were in need of me, you have an expectation of me. My wife has an expectation of me. My kids have an expectation of me. My dad has an expectation of me. The, the elders have an expectation of me. I have an expectation of me. My friends have an expectation of me. Which one do I measure up to? And it's the same thing in your life. I just painted the story of mine, but it's the same story in your life to where it's, it's the, the me that others want you to be. They want you to perform to their standard. Some of us fall into this hole and then we wonder why we lack an identity that's, that actually lasts the test of life is because it's rooted in who somebody else wants us to be or who they think we should be. The last one here is the me that I'm meant to to be. The me that I'm meant to be. This is the Jesus version of you. This is the reason why you were created. This is the reason why you're here today. This is the reason why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because with it, sure, it's a historical fact, and with it was the movement of Christianity was, was confirmed and fulfilled and launched from that day, of course, But with it also is the resurrection power for us to be the best version of who God wants us to be. It seems almost cliche when somebody like me says that you were created for a purpose. And many of us say, yeah, that's true, but I don't know what that purpose is. And that's the follow-up. Yeah, but I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my gifts are. The best version of you is a life that makes sense. But if you're just relying upon your self-will, if you are simply a Good Friday Christian, your life will not make sense because you're not resting in the, in the resurrected power of Jesus. You're resting in your own with self-will and power. As we press on, and you can flip in your Bible to Hebrews 13. It's going to be our main text. I have a couple other things that I want you to see But kind of the big idea is, is this for this morning. The me that you're meant to be happens when experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in your life. Have you ever wondered why that if, if your hand hurts, that your hand can't fix itself? You ever wondered why? You ever wonder why, like you have a headache and you just can't think your headache away? As a matter of fact, when you have a headache and then you think, what happens? It hurts worse, right? It's, and it's, it's the same kind of rationale that if somebody, has, if somebody has brain cancer, they can't just think the cancer away. I turned 40, and I started getting these random ailments that everyone else told me that I was going to get. 
And when I was in my 20s, they were like, yeah, when you turn 40, I was like, nah, not me. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong. I eat rel- relatively good. And by good, I mean good food. You know, I'm like, whatever. I kind of do my thing. It's like, uh, I turn 40. It's not going to be bad. I turned 40. I was like, oh, my goodness. And so one of the things that happened was my knees. And, and when my knees hurt, arthritis, whatever they put on it, I also self-diagnosed, by the way. Um, I don't like to go to the doctor. There's confession time. Uh, your pastor to you, not a big fan of it, so I just kind of wait it out or do whatever. But never, never, not one time have, have my knees, when they've started to hurt, to just make themselves right. Not, that's just not going to happen. Your body doesn't do it. It's just not just going to make itself right. And when we have a wound, and we all carry this wound to some degree, when we have a wound that cuts to the core of us, to to the point of our soul, and we all have a soul, when we have a wound that cuts to the core of our soul, it also reminds us that we cannot fix ourselves. Because get this, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Because no created thing can solely fix itself. A created thing needs to rely upon its creator for the process of mending. And if you have a wound so deep, and it's a wound, and the wound is called sin, and if it cuts so deep and gets to the core of you, that explains why you can't mend you. That explains why the the best version of you has to come from a source outside of you. The best version of you has to come from the creator of you. And all people were created by God, not by accident, not by chance, but by God. So if we kind of walk into that reality and understand that we're wounded, that we all are the walking wounded, then it becomes the understanding for the verse that I'm going to put on the screen right now. And the verse is Daniel 12, 2. And this is what it says. And because of the wounds that we carry, it creates this, this situation. Just by looking at the, the verse right here on the screen, here's what I know about you. And there's no wiggle room here. There's no, well, I think I, well, I want to be, it's if, if I could and I knew the condition of your soul, which I don't, so that would be weird, right, for all of us. I don't. Only God does, but you do as well. If, if I knew the condition of your soul, what I could do right now is I could divide the room into two different groups, and these would be clearly defined groups right now. No wiggle room, no in-between, or, well, I'm trying to figure it out, or, I don't know, I'm trying to attend church long enough to get where I need to be, to get the best version of me. There, there is no wiggle room. And here are the groups, as the prophet Daniel said. He says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. This is talking about, when, when the Old Testament talks about sleep, it means physical death, but also he's pointing to a resurrection because every person resurrects. And when they resurrect, they go one of two places, and that's what Daniel's talking about. When you resurrect, your soul will, re- will resurrect and go one of two places. And what he says here, and I wholeheartedly believe, and I want you to be challenged with, is this. He says, some to everlasting life. That is, that is um, eternity spent in a place called heaven with God. That, that words cannot express how good that is. Can, words cannot express the, the grace that is felt and the satisfaction of your soul. 
I mean, human words cannot define how good this really is. That's everlasting life, a life resting in spending it with God. Some of us, and I hope we wouldn't be too quick to answer, some of us are here, and your life would, would verify that with fruit, 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 fruit. The Bible says in, that, that, that God would be known by our fruits, as Christians would be known by our fruit. And some of the fruits of a Christian is a prayer life that works, a prayer life that's alive, that God knows, that, that when you pray, you just know that God hears your prayer and God moves on your behalf. You don't always get what you want, but you pray and God hears. A life that looks like Jesus' life. A life that, that has a reduction of sin. A life that not only has a reduction of sin, that when you do sin, that you're reminded that that sin was a wound on, uh, on Jesus' body on the cross. So that you would want to turn away from that sin. You see, that's just a few of the things that should identify a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ and somebody who has everlasting life should be growing. They're growing into the best version of who God wants them to be. They're not stuck in their old ways of thinking. Their old ways of living. That their heart has been changed. Their mind is being renewed. And they're different. If you have given your life to Christ, I need you to listen to this. If you've given your life to Christ... And there's not been a moment where you have changed. You are not experiencing the eternal life that Christ Jesus offers. Instead, what you really have and what you're deceived about is the other side. Because categorically, there's only two, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting contempt and shame. And that's an eternity spent without God. Never again to experience the grace of God. Never again to experience the, the, the grace of relationships. Never again to, to experience any level of satisfaction for your life. Always gone away from God. And once we breathe our last that we sleep in the dust of the earth, that when we, when we die and we go into the ground and our soul will go one of two places, eternal life to be with Jesus or, or eternal life of contempt, eternal contempt and shame separated from God, one in a literal place called heaven and one in a literal place called hell. See, if I were going to divide the room, I wonder where you would be. I wonder where you would be. Let's not deceive ourselves to say, oh, well, that's, I know where I'm going to be. But what evidence would you prove? What, what evidence would you give for your answer? Now, as we press into Hebrews, we're going to see how a life made whole can tune into the resurrected power of Jesus. There are some things that we can do. The first and foremost glorifies God, but also is good for us, um, and especially those who would call themselves Christians. Author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, verse 20. 
He says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. Verse 21. And here's, here's a way for us to understand this because the wording's a little bit tricky. But let me just kind of help you to understand this. At the beginning of verse 20, it says this, may the God of peace. And that's, we're going to take that and we're going to add this into verse 21. That's just grammatically how it works. Sometimes it can, it can be tricky because it's been a long time since we've been in English class. So verse 20 starts out, may the God of peace, verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to start back at verse 20, and it says, may the God of peace, is, is, are you experiencing the peace of God in your life? You see, we can experience the peace of God in your life, and part of that is because the resurrected power of Jesus then imparts peace through the Holy Spirit of God. The resurrected power of Jesus was through the Holy Spirit of God. And every follower of Jesus, who has, who, every person who's committed their life to Christ, who's, who's in Christ, then gets to experience the fulfillment of the abundant life, the eternal life, through the Holy Spirit of God. And with it comes peace. See, without the peace of God, it always seems like you're fighting this plan that's contrary to your plan, because it is. Without the peace of God, you always seems like there's this, th- these people that just always get in, get in your way from doing what you want to do, and they are. But it says, may the God of peace, God the Father, the God of peace, God the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you, for you so that he could stir your affections, so he could change you from the inside going to the outside. And that part of that change is that you would become the best version of you. But it starts with your heavenly father as he's imparting this peace. But it doesn't stop there. It says, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus. Did you see resurrection there? I don't know if you're someone who writes in your Bible. I do all the time. Um, Maybe you want to write this this in your margin, right next to eternal covenant, just for later reference, if you're someone who wants to research some things out um, and go a little bit deeper in this. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, certainly hundreds of years before this was penned and hundreds of years before the resurrection, uh, the historical fact of resurrection of Jesus. Along before that, the prophet Jeremiah, he was talking about a day where there was going to be just a a new people and they would experience this, this new covenant that's not built upon people's actions. It's not going to be built upon people's conduct. It's not going to be built upon how well certain people can hold up God's law. But instead, this covenant would be rooted in a covenant that is eternal, the blood of the eternal covenant, which is in Jesus. The shed blood on the cross was what Jeremiah was talking about, that there's a new covenant that's not on condition for how well you and I perform, but instead on what Jesus did for us on the cross. But also, as we kind of press on through this passage, it says, that great shepherd of the sheep. 
Perhaps in the margin of this, you want to write down John 10, 11. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he also was pointing to to a different way of living. He was pointing to an eternal covenant. He He was pointing to a life made whole, not by people's, even people's obedience. He was pointing to people, sheep, lost, needing direction, having great value, but needing direction, that he was the good shepherd. And that he was willing to lay down his life for you and for you and for you. Verse 21 gives us an interesting word. And it's the word equip. We often know what the word equip means. I learned this kind of the hard way. Um, Several years ago when I was in my teens, I had the opportunity of going rappelling. Anyone ever been rappelling? Anyone? Had a few in the 915. Had a few. You survived, so you can talk about it now. Um, And rappelling was a lot of fun. Um, for me, I'm not certainly an expert in it, but what I remember about that whole process is they told us everything about the ropes and the knots and the carabiners, you know, the, all of that. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. You tie this knot. You put the thing through there, which was incredibly uncomfortable, just so you know. Like you put this all wrapped around you, and then if you fall, you're not going to die. That was the good news. Um, but then I found out that somebody else's, I, my life was in somebody else's hand at the bottom. They were like holding a rope, and they could let it go, and bing, he could have some fun, um, and just there you go. Sorry. He's a meat sandwich. Pick him up. You know, I mean, it could have been bad, but it wasn't. But before I ever got attached to the rope and and the sling and and the carabiners and, and 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 the hooks and all of that stuff, they went through and tried to equip us to do what it is that we were about to do that day. They wanted us to have a working knowledge of um, hey, you, we're all going to go do this together, but I want you to know what is happening, and I want you to know how it works so you can do it yourself. They wanted to equip us to do it, and that also is what we see in verse 21. We see that the God of peace, look at it if, with me, if you will, that the God of peace, he does what? He equips you with everything good in doing his will. That he equips, he prepares. But what I love about that word in the Greek is this, and it's the Greek word elatso. It means to change, to see transformation, or to make different. So to equip wasn't to just for us to go live the life that we wanted to live. When the God of peace rescued us from our sin so that we would become the best version of ourselves, he did so in such an amazing way is to equip us, to change us, to transform us, to make us to being more like him. That's the equipping. It's not that we would just go through lives and we just live happy lives and everything's going to go well and you're never going to get sick and you're never going to get bad news and you're never going to get fired and, and you know, you're never going to have marital issues and you know, you're never going to have a, su- a surprise. Everything's going to go exactly how you think it ought to be. He says, no, 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 that's not what it means. What it means is when you get all of those things, if you are equipped by God to handle them through the resurrection power of Jesus, then when you get the bad news, then when you have the struggle, then when you have the relationship issue, then you have the the surprise that you didn't know was coming, then when you have it, you don't freak out. 
Because the God of peace just gave you something that you could not get yourself. Do you track with that so far? That he's making you to be more like him and less like your old self. To transform you, to make you new. Here's some things that the resurrection of Jesus offers. The resurrection of Jesus is really is a foundation for our faith in Christ. And I would say that the cross is also foundational. I would also say that the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is foundational to our faith. But Romans 4.25 says this, that he, being Jesus, was handed over to die because of what? What does it say? Because of our sins. Not just the sins of the world in some bland way, but in a personal way. That Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins, because of my sins. And yet he was raised to life. There's resurrection, is it not? And why? He was resurrected. He was raised to life to make us right with God. To make us right with God. One of the things I love about this also is the resurrection power of Jesus. It says in Romans 6, 4, it says that, that this is part of the, the power for us to live for God, that the resurrected power of God is to help us live for God. It says, we were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That we too may. That the same power that was accessed by Jesus to resurrect on the third day was the same power that is available to every Christian today to live the Christian life. That we may too live a new life is what it just said. Also, we see this and this we have all sorts of different theological backgrounds in here, but I I want this um, to just be etched in your memory. You can search this out more if you want to. This is fine. Um, but also because the, the resurrected power of Jesus also becomes an intercess, intercession between us and God because Jesus sits at the right hand of God. It's what it says in Romans 8.34. It says, who is, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. There's resurrection. At the right hand of God and also and is also interceding for us. He says, so that Jesus, when Jesus resurrected, he then went to the right hand of the Father, and he has been interceding, acting on our behalf ever since. So because of that, Jesus not only saves, but Jesus continually saves those that he has already saved. I'll say it again. This will be on the screen. This has to be something that we don't just hear, but we start to believe. Jesus not only saves, but he keeps saving those that he has saved. That the work of your salvation is not on you. It's not on you being a good person. So thankful of that. It's it's not on, well, I'm just going to try a little bit harder today. It doesn't rest on that. It rests on the resurrection power of Jesus. That it, it not, he, Jesus not only saves, but he keeps saving those he's already saved. Because he's still interceding on our behalf. Then every time we fail God's perfect standard, and we do daily, then he intercedes for us. And he declares us not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. 
And he's interceding between us and the Father. Which brings me back to a place where we started. And a couple questions that I think we really have to be honest and try and answer. Daniel 12, 2. Again, said multitude who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. If you were to expire today, if this was your last day on this earth, your body will go into the ground and we will mourn that loss but your soul is going somewhere. Your soul is either going to pass on to a literal place called heaven, surrounded, overwhelmed by the love of God and the glory of God into eternal life, everlasting life with him. Some of us, for sure, it's where we're going. But if we're honest with one another, some of us are on the other side. We have have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. Or if we did it, we just did it with half a heart, which means there's no such thing as, as half a salvation. It's all or nothing. So where do you sit? You don't sit on the fence. There is no fence. Scriptures teach that when somebody passes away from this life, those who are going to heaven is to be absent from the body, is to be in the presence of the Lord. And that's the resurrection of power of Jesus that takes that and that we can just live in the presence of God forever. In words, cannot even explain how good that's going to be. They can't. People have tried in the scriptures and they say, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, but nobody can really clearly define exactly what it's like. But also on the other side, those who are going to go to everlasting contempt of God, those who are going to live a life, who are going to spend their eternity, they've already lived their life and they are going to spend their eternity in the literal place called hell, separated from God. Some people in the room today, that's where you're headed. And once you breathe your last breath, you cannot make another decision to follow Jesus. The time's up. It's expired. So where are you this morning? I mean, we're talking about resurrection. We're talking about new life. We're talking about the best version of you. That's where we are. We're in one of those two categories. There's no fence. There's no, I'm trying to make up my mind. You, you have already made up your mind one way or the other. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you in such a way that maybe to meet you right where you are and, and to ask God to speak to you right where you are. So if you would please just close your eyes with me and, and bow your head if you would.